Welcome to Season 2 of What the Hell Happened. I am here today with the feral Mr. Lockwood. I've been out in the wild for so long. Yes. I've gone feral. Yes. You are currently in an untamed state. It took you a whole month to just lasso me and get me back inside. It did. Well, it took me all summer. <laughs> yes, we hope everybody had a great summer. Yes. Um, We didn't do a whole lot. It's good to be back. It feels like we did a lot and not a whole lot. They don't care what we've done. What no? The only thing they care of is why there aren't more episodes. Well... I'm I'm just going to get right into that then. <laughs> Before we get started, I just want to take a minute and apologize for dropping the ball on our summer episodes. Uh, life and house projects just got in the way and I simply failed to get it done. You should apologize to me. I'm sorry I didn't make you work on this all summer? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, but that being said, I have realized that the structure of the show needed to be adjusted in order for me to keep the podcast going without feeling overwhelmed. I do all of the research, writing, editing, and social media. Therefore, our seasons will run from the first Monday in September until the last Monday in April. The show will be bi-weekly, giving me more time to deep dive and give you all better researched, longer episodes. We also have another guest host who will be popping in from time to time. And as always, you can find us on Facebook or email us at wthh.podcast at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or story suggestions that you have. Now with all of that covered, Mr. Lockwood, would you like to hear a story? Oh boy, would I. (laughs) I think you need some sounder that's like, season two, fight. Nice banana. (laughs) Okay. I'll I'll put some something (laughs) behind what you just said right there. I'll do that just for you. You could do me the deep echo voice thing where you like modify my voice. Something like that. Yeah. Mine was pretty lame. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So you do want to hear a story? Yeah, yes, I'm fucking dying to hear a story. Okay, you've been waiting for four months. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So today we're going to be talking about being buried alive. Stories of those who were presumed dead and those willing to find fame in the grave. That's awesome. Yeah? I mean, being buried alive is not awesome for the buried. Well, so that brings up my first question to you is, is being buried alive something that you would be afraid to have happen to you? Uh, All forms of pain, suffering, and death, I think... A rational person would be afraid of i mean yes you're not wrong but i guess i guess what i was asking is there's no part of there's no claustrophobia involved for you like you would that would just be terrible for that or would you be more afraid of just suffocating to death or it's the same thing okay all of it it all sucks <laughs> it all involves dying oh uh, yeah i mean does it really matter how much it hurts is that really more important than the fact that you're dead no i guess i just what i was really wondering was is it something you ever think about well if i was given the choice between going through excruciating pain and living or just dying and not having any pain at all well i'm here aren't i well yeah you still didn't answer my question what is being buried alive something you ever have thought about sure after i saw kill bill yeah. You know what? I immediately thought of that when I was writing this. <laughs> I would never be able to one inch punch my way out of a, a coffin. There's no way. My fingers aren't that strong. So, all right. Well, let me tell you a little bit of history slash psychology of being buried alive. The fear of being buried alive is called taphophobia and comes from the Greek word taphos, meaning grave which is translated to fear of graves. See, I thought maybe it was fear of taffy. <laughs> no. Any, is anybody afraid of taffy? Wouldn't that also be taffophobia? Taffy, or that taffy phobia? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going with that. <laughs> yeah, no, just taffophobia. Before modern day medicine and medical practices, the fear of accidentally being buried alive was not entirely irrational. 
1896, an American funeral director, T.M. Montgomery, reported that 2% of those who had been exhumed for one reason or another were in fact victims of suspended animation. I doubt that. (laughs) But he was a doctor. No, he was a director. Let me guess. He was selling embalming fluid. He probably was. (laughs) Yes, which, if you were alive injected with that you wouldn't be after that no you wouldn't be alive anymore i suppose you'd wake up once they shove that big fucking needle up your you know what well you'd be a lot well no they drain your blood first well it's still a big needle goes in there you'd bleed you'd bleed out that big poke would wake you up yeah in the 18th century the development of mouth-to-mouth resuscitation and crude defibrillation techniques were used to revive those who were considered to be dead what year was that in the 18th century. Oh. Mm-hmm. In fact, the Royal Humane Society had been formed as the Society for the Recovery of Persons Apparently Dead. That's pretty <laughs> noble. I mean, I like the title of this mm-hmm. society. It, it says just what it means. Well, now we don't even, people that look dead, we don't even think that they're dead yet. Well, no, they they got like thirty minutes. First thing they really ask dead. on like the nine one one call is like, "Well, do they look dead? How dead are they? And <laughs> <laughs> How dead do they look? <laughs> How dead are they? Are they not moving? Yes, they're not moving. On a scale from one to are ten, are they breathing? No, they're not breathing. Do they have a heartbeat? No, they don't. Okay, this is what I want you to do: hold a mirror in front of their face. There's a chance <laughs> that you can still keep them, bring them back. That's pretty cool. So they figured that out in the early 19th century, that even though you're dead, you're not necessarily dead yet. Right. Yeah. I just, I really like the name of the society. The Society for the Recovery of Persons Apparently Dead. You know what Billy Crystal says? Hmm. He's only mostly dead. He said that like one time in a movie. (laughs) I've heard him say it like thousands of times. (laughs) You have? Well, you've watched that movie thousands of times. (laughs) Probably. Yeah. All right, so now we're going to get into the first part of our episode, which is aptly named Accidental Burials. That's a doozy. Yep. Accidentally on purpose? Nope, accidental. Well, that bitch. Like, you think you could accidentally bury yourself? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You do? Yeah, you can try and dig a hole in the ground sideways. And then it caves in on you and you just accidentally buried yourself. You just yourself. take the shovel with you and scoot in and pile of dirt in oh, behind you. I was thinking more like a cave in of like a, a mine or something. Oh. Well. That would be accidentally burying yourself. Yeah, kind of, I guess. All right. So here's a picture of this woman. This woman's name is Anne Hill Carter Lee. As the story goes, in 1806, Annie Lee who was the wife of Henry Lee, died after suffering from bouts of unconsciousness that would leave her body rigid and motionless until she eventually snapped out of the unusual episode. Catatonia. Three days after Annie's death, a funeral was held and she was buried at the family's crypt. Later in the day after the funeral, a caretaker that happened to be doing some maintenance nearby heard sounds coming from inside the crypt. He's the crypt keeper, by the way. (laughs) He opened the crypt and found Mrs. Lee alive. After the shock of finding out that his wife was not dead, Henry Lee implored experts to... Immediately stabbed her to death. (laughs) I like it when you try to fill in the blanks of the story. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's kind of more along the lines of our stories, isn't it? That we talk about. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. You don't think we do a whole lot of stabbings, do we? Yeah. I mean, we can if that's what you want. This what season. about the Gamanabush lady? The what? The Gamanabush lady. <laughs> you know, the evil spirit of, that eats children. The Babadook? The ba- no. no. The ba- <laughs> Babakanoosh. You remember her? <laughs> I do, but the that's Russian not lady? what she's called. <laughs> oh, the uh, Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga, yeah. that's it. It took me a second, yeah. <laughs> Baba Ganoush. <laughs> okay, moving on. 
<laughs> After the shock of finding out that his wife was not dead, Henry Lee implored experts to figure out what the cause of such a strange and terrifying incident could be. They determined that Annie had suffered from one of her unconscious episodes and that in this instance, her breathing was so shallow that when paired with her rigid body, the doctors were fooled into thinking that she was deceased. Uh, this is in the 1800s. Bear with me. I don't think they were. I don't know. Uh, I'm suspect, suspicious. After a period of recovery, both physically and mentally, I would think, Annie Lee became pregnant, and after nine months, she gave birth to a baby boy that would grow up to be the Confederate General Robert E. Lee. Wow. So, this was his mother. His mother was literally buried alive. Damn, she's tough. Yeah, that's why he's so tough. I just feel like, uh, even back then, they would be like, well, there's a heartbeat. She's maintained body temperature for the last six hours. That's kind of unusual for a dead person. <laughs> She's still warm. <laughs> Quick barrier before I mean, someone finds out. what kind of out? fucking doctors do these people have? <laughs> they would have been considered bad doctors back then, too. Well, I, she had a weird a weird thing happening. Mm. So, you know, in light of that we- unusual Do you have theories about ailment, what this ailment is by any chance later no. on? No. Oh. If Annie had not been found by the caretaker, she would have suffocated. Being that everyone already believed her to be dead, no one would have been any the wiser. Well, yeah. just think, the North would have won if General Lee wouldn't right? have been born. Yeah, I mean, she was about seven hours from dying. What? <laughs> Did I miss something? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> We'll leave that up for the readers to figure out. Okay. I'm in my own, listeners. I'm in my own little world over here. <laughs> <laughs> Our next story takes place in 1867, where a 24-year-old woman named... Now, bear with me. This name is very odd, and I don't know that I'm going to be able to pronounce it, so I'm going to do my best. It's P-H-I-L-O-M-E-L-E. So Philo Flamel. Flamel. It's a female though. <laughs> uh said French. Philomel. Philomel? Philomel. Maybe that's the female version of Philip. Philomel. We're gonna go with that. It right. sounds okay. We're, I'm just gonna make this up now. Uh last name Jontre. Philomel Jontre. Sounds French. Does it? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm glad I did my best. Philomel Jantre of France unluckily had contracted cholera. Did you just say of France after I said, is it French? Yeah. Oh, okay. Just checking. I'm just reading. <laughs> Ask stupid questions, you get stupid this answers. This is our first day. It's our first day back, folks. We're a little rusty. Ever. Yeah, ever. <laughs> You, no one would ever know that we did like 30-something of these previously. All right. So she contracted cholera. Cholera is a disease that causes acute diarrhea and is contracted by digestion of food or water contaminated with bacteria. Parasite, right? Mm -hmm. It typically takes about 12 hours to five days for a person to show symptoms after the initial ingestion of contaminated food or water. It can kill within hours if not treated. Now, let me just say, we've been watching a lot of Naked and Afraid mm -hmm. lately. And uh, I feel like for whatever They're reason... There's always a risk of catching cholera. Yeah. It's all I can think about when I read about cholera. Because they're just like eating bugs and drinking bugs. It still kills a lot of people on this planet every year. People with unclean drinking water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Philomel died quickly after being diagnosed and was thereafter read her last rites by a priest and her body was placed in a coffin. Sixteen hours after being pronounced dead, she was lowered into her grave. After the hole had been filled and onlookers were leaving, a grave digger finished up with his tasks and heard Phil... This name. I'm just going to call her Phil. Call her P. Call her Phyllis. Philomel, eh? Philomel. Okay, there it is again. Okay. Uh, after he had finished up with his tasks, he heard Philomel knocking and hitting at the lid of her coffin. 
He dug as fast as he could to get to the young woman and promptly removed her from beneath the soil. Although shockingly, upon examining her, the gravedigger saw no sign of breathing. However, he could hear her heart faintly beating in her chest, along with muscle contractions and movements in her eyelids. The following day, sadly, she was again pronounced dead <laughs> and was buried for the second time. For real this time? Yeah, for real. Yeah. Oh, I think it'd be better she, if you were like, but guess what? She's she dead. didn't die again. <laughs> yeah, it would be better if she like got buried. Three, so the three grave times. digger knows to fucking listen to see if their heart's beating. Well, he just, he heard thumping. I know. Yeah. But once he opened the casket, he checked, and he's like, "Oh yeah, she's got a heartbeat." I feel like her arm is just like tweaking out and hitting the coffin lid. But the fucking doctors. Yeah. In America, in how's South the, America. How come all the ca- caretakers and grave diggers hear these people and know whether they're dead or not, but the doctors don't? That's my question. Good question. Maybe things haven't changed that much. Our next story is of the case of Essie Dunbar. In mid-1915, Essie, stricken with epilepsy, collapsed to the floor of her home in South Carolina. Her family called the doctor, and after seeing no signs of breathing or life, he pronounced her dead. The family immediately began to make funeral arrangements. Her body was carefully placed in a wooden coffin with a cross engraved on its lid. Her friends and family attended the service, after which Essie Dunbar was lowered into the ground and the hole was filled with dirt. Essie's sister, who arrived at the funeral late, pleaded with the workers to uncover the coffin that her dear sister was partially buried in. She hadn't gotten to say her final goodbye. The priest, feeling much sorrow for the sister, agreed, and he instructed the men to uncover Essie's coffin. As they opened the coffin lid, Essie sat bolt upright, causing much shock and chaos. (laughs) Attendees fled, and even her own sister couldn't bring herself to show excitement over the fact that her sister was indeed not dead. (laughs) Essie climbed out of her coffin and walked on her own back to town. This caused a lot of panic in the town and the people ran and hid, even those she had considered friends and loved ones. No one could believe what they were seeing. What town was this? It was in South Carolina. I didn't say what town. There could be some voodoo involved. (laughs) Maybe. Ultimately, Essie ended up living a fairly long life after the incident, passing away May 22, 1962, at the age of 70. During the rest of her life, the townspeople never forgot this terrifying occurrence, and she was branded the woman who defeated death. Satan spawn. Mm -hmm. She had also been called a zombie by some (laughs) and a curse to the community by others. Do you think that was because what she happened or what she was like? I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I thought this is a really good one because a lot of the other ones are kind of like, I don't know. Like she, she just sat up right in the coffin and then crawled out. A curse to this town? Yeah. <laughs> that's a mean thing to say. Yeah. She was called a curse to the community. Com- that's even meaner. <laughs> she wasn't a pillar of the community. No, she, she was, was a curse, curse of the community. community. Oh, okay. Poor Essie. She looks like a very nice old woman yeah, in this she picture. Looks fine. We have a picture of her. We'll post up so everyone can like see. Like every old person yeah. looks like. Could you imagine? You know, okay. Could you imagine this scenario? <laughs> you go to a funeral and the next thing you know, the person crawls out of their coffin and is just definitely walking wrecking, toward town. You know, my brain trying to figure out like how this could happen. I don't know. There was no nothing I could find said exactly what I mean, why how any of these cases could happen. Yeah. Well, she had a seizure, and maybe she, like um, like Annie Lee, was just in such a, you know, kind of coma-like state with very shallow breathing that they just were like, ah, oh, dump her in the box. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get there with theories. Okay. All right. All right. We'll move on. Our next account is that of a 19-year-old Frenchman. That guy is not 19. Yeah, he is, actually. In that picture. He has to be. No. Yeah. And you'll find out why he has to be 19 in that picture. <laughs> Our next account is that of 19-year-old, and he's very good-looking, me, I say, of 19-year-old Frenchman named Angelo Hayes. In 1937, he was riding his motorcycle 
when he got into a horrific accident that caused him to be thrown from the bike, smashing him headfirst into a nearby brick wall. Oh, so he wasn't... Was that after or before the brick wall? What do you mean? The picture. It couldn't have been after. That's (laughs) why I'm saying he had to have been 19 in this picture. His face was so disfigured that his family was not allowed to see his body. After a thorough examination by doctors, he was declared dead, and three days later, he was buried. After his initial burial, there were questions from the insurance companies sparking the need for Angelo's body to be exhumed, which it was two days after his funeral. So he was in the ground for two days. He was in the ground for two no days. No way. And he was dead for three before they buried him. So five days total, they thought he was dead. Yeah, but like once you go into the ground, the air, the oxygen level. I mean... I don't know. That's why this you is know, so this confounding This is sort of uh, not obeying the laws of physics. You would think so, but there are so many accounts of this happening to people. Some of them have to be true. No, they don't. <laughs> But we are a purely factual podcast, (laughs) so this is all very true. (laughs) The forensic institute that performed the exhumation was surprised to find his body still warm to the touch. Uh Uh-huh. Turns out... Turns out that Angela was in a deep coma, and therefore, the diminished need for oxygen kept him alive. Don't like that explanation. No, I mean, that's what it would have to be (laughs) for it to be possible. Yeah. He required many surgeries and extensive rehabilitation, but he ultimately recovered quickly. After his astonishing experience, Angelo became somewhat of a celebrity in France. Angelo took full advantage of his new fame and even went on tours in the 70s with a pimped out coffin that he had invented, which showcased food storage area a library a toilet and even a radio transmitter that's so crazy (laughs) dumb what i guess you gotta make money yes yes well good for angelo he you know he went through something completely horrible and terrifying and could have easily died in there if the insurance company weren't such sticklers i I don't know i guess yeah but he didn't and then he capitalized on his own death (laughs) so now i'm gonna have to research like metabolism levels of people in comas Mm -hmm. yeah it would be interesting to know how long you can survive in a tiny box if you don't need much oxygen it's not very long no no you're looking at me like you want to bury me and find out (laughs) no i don't need to bury you to find out how long it would take that's good good to know all i need to know is how much you weigh oh well you know that don't say anything (laughs) (laughs) okay so The fact that he invented this coffin with all of these things in there to like potentially survive should you ever get buried alive leads us into a little portion of this episode that I would like to call Inventions to Combat Accidental Burials. (laughs) The fear of being buried alive was so concerning to some that those who could afford it would make arrangements to have a variety of safety coffins constructed. This was to prevent a premature burial. Yeah. Such safety coffins could have one or a few of the following features. Glass lids, ropes to bells for signaling, or even breathing pipes. I personally would want a breathing pipe and some kind of survival meal kit placed in the casket with me. (laughs) That's what I would like. Didn't they used to tie a string to people's finger when they would have them laying in their dining room table for everyone to come and see them i mean maybe night. you could do that but they also used to have them coming up out of the coffin with a stick no, and mean, a bell before attached before the they ground. would do the burial i like, mean maybe like grandpa dies didn't they like tie a string or something to his toe on a bell well you could didn't they do that i mean they should I think still they did do that. they should still do that some believe that the terms saved by the bell and dead ringer were both derived from the notion (laughs) of having a rope attached to a bell outside of the coffin to alert people that the recently buried person is not, in fact, deceased. That's funny. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Um, It's just those terms are believed to come from that, but nobody is, like, 
positive about it. I was going to say, well, it just like kind of makes sense. When though. you use the term dead ringer, it's like, yeah. oh, she's a real dead ringer for Sally. Yeah. Like, how does that even mean the doppelganger? Well, it, I think it has multiple meanings. Oh, does it mean if like Sally's dead and you saw this other person that looks just like Sally? She's well, a no, dead ringer for Sally? I don't think Sally has to be dead. But yes, you're right. Dead ringer means they look just like the person or something looks just like something yeah. else. Um, saved by the bell. That one, I think that makes it more could sense. Could be, yeah. What would you want in a casket with you if you got buried prematurely? Fire. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, prematurely. Die again quicker. What would I want? Yeah, like if you were in there and you woke up and you were like alive but buried in a coffin. What what one thing would you want in that coffin with you? A joint. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> I don't know. What the fuck are you going to do? I mean, if you're going to die, you might as well not care about it. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I mean, the problem is that radio waves don't go through soil very well. So if you had a cell phone, you couldn't call anyone. Yeah. You'd just be stuck. I definitely feel like bathroom things would be an issue. How long do you think you're going to stay down there? A couple days. (laughs) Hopefully just a few hours until someone finds me. Uh, It would suck. Yeah, I don't know. I can't think of a lot of things that'd be like, this is what you need to get out of this. A shovel. I'd want a shovel and a pickaxe. (sighs) Don't think it'd help you much. No, the dirt would just come in and like fill the coffin and smother you to death. You'd just be breathing dirt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a tough one. I don't know how you'd get out of that. If you could bust through the coffin, oh, I know. I I figured out what I want. Dead. That's what I want. What? I want a hydraulic jack. Okay. (laughs) Yes. That goes really long. Okay. Like an eight foot one. Yeah. So then you just start cranking that thing up and yeah. it just pushes the door straight up yeah. and out. That would be the only thing. The that... only problem is, is would that fit in there with you? Yeah. It'd be one of those little bottle okay. jacks. That's actually not a bad idea. So it would just, you'd jack it up and the whole lid would just go up with the dirt on top of it, presumably. That's the theory. You know okay. what would happen in real life? It would break in it half and kill you. It would just break a hole right through the. And kill you. No, through the lid. Yeah. And then that would be it. You wouldn't be able to get the lid open. Well, no. And it would just fill with dirt. Be pushing the hydraulic jack up through through a hole through the lid. Wouldn't there be a hole then for you to crawl out of? Well, the bottle jack's only two inches or four inches oh, in diameter. Well, that's fucking lame. But if you had a steel, like lid, yeah, then you could use the bottle jack on it. You could just push the whole thing up. Out. That's what I was thinking. The yeah. whole lid would go up and just like push the dirt up. <laughs> yeah, but you'd need a reinforced lid, or else the pressure. Yeah, so we're not talking like an old school wooden coffin lid? No. Okay, gotcha. We're going to move on. Our next little segment is called Being Buried Alive Becomes a Death-Defying Stunt. Houdini? Maybe one of the most famous characters that we are going to start with is one Mr. Harry Houdini. You didn't just guess, though. I just need to tell everybody you didn't just guess. I brought up a picture of Harry Houdini, and he said Houdini. Well, I know who he is by looking (laughs) at him. That's probably a lot more than most people. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. He's very distinct looking. I would know who that was if I saw a picture of him. That's because you're old. It is because I'm old. (laughs) Oh, I'm getting older this month. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's getting older every month. But this is my birthday month. (laughs) definitely getting a year older this month (laughs) all right so houdini had a morbid curiosity with the idea of being buried alive as a stunt and tried for years to figure out how to present it on stage there are many stories about how he approached this grim stunt so i'm going to give you the best of the accounts that i can The most widely accepted story is that Houdini first attempted a buried alive act in California. He was shackled and buried in a pit of soil measuring six feet deep. This early attempt proved to be too dangerous, nearly killing him, so he ended up tabling that idea. The stunt stayed in the depths of Houdini's mind until the 1920s when he decided to perform the buried alive act as somewhat of an endurance test. This new performance would see the magician placed into an air and water tight casket and submerged into the pool of the Hotel Shelton. Houdini would attempt to stay in the box using controlled breathing for 90 minutes without dying of asphyxia. Mm -hmm. Should this stunt prove to be successful, 
He planned to debut a more elaborate stage version that involved being put in a straitjacket, placed in a sealed casket, and buried in an enormous clear tank filled with sand. He had even prepared the posters for this death, hopefully defying feat. And then here's the poster he prepared for that. Houdini was, however, unable to see this long-desired stunt through. He died before getting to attempt either one. He passed away of injuries stemming from a long-performed, more mundane act. Up next is a man by the name of Rudolf Schmeid. Rudolf was a carnival stuntman from a small town in Austria. In 1952, he decides that he wants to perform an act in which he spends an entire year in a seven-foot-tall glass case or glass bottle, as it was referred to in the newspapers at the time. Not only that, the bottle would suspend in the air and with him, Rudolph would have an air mattress, a camping stool, and two Syrian snakes that he claimed would keep him company. So this is a picture of Rudolph. He was famously known for nailing his tongue to boards. Mm-hmm. And he's got like a turban on and he's got a mustache and a beard. Nailing his tongue uh-huh. to boards. And here, there it is. And here's a picture. And this board is long. Mm-hmm. This is like a five foot long board. Mm-hmm. And he's got his tongue nailed to the top of it. And he would just carry the board around with him as like That's some kind strange. of stunt. Yeah. So. Whatever he, gets you clicks, man. I guess so. Um, so here's the box. The glass box bottle. In December of 1952, after all of the preparations had been made, Rudolph climbs into his bottle and arc welders seal him in. They leave an 8-inch bottleneck opening at the top, and for the next year he plans on living on vitamins and writing his memoirs. He hopes that his stunt will attract a sizable crowd of curiosity, and at 15 cents a person, he'd emerge to a decent sum of money. (laughs) (laughs) So here's a couple more. I don't even want to go over the logistics of making that happen for a year. No. So here's a picture of it. So it was upright, not laying down. Like he had to get into it laying down. Mm -hmm. But then they, they turned it. So he's upright. I don't know where this air mattress and snakes and stool are, but he's like sitting up meditating in it. And there's a snake, one of his snakes wrapped around his neck. So I, I, I don't Did he know. really do it, huh? So here's the thing. Okay. I'm glad you brought that up. This is where I completely lost the trail of this man. I found very few pictures of this stunt and even less information on it. I couldn't find anything on the outcome of this year-long stunt, nor could I find any info on the man's life. Um, The pictures I found look real and as though he truly is performing the stunt as described. The only other info that I could find on him was that he was the most he was most famous for nailing his tongue to a plank of wood and doing so for weeks at a time. Although not necessarily being buried, I found this one to be fascinating enough to toss into the mix. Um, and the fact that I couldn't find any more about his life made me want to share it even more with you guys because I'm confused. I I. It's, it's an interesting story. I was able to find it. In fact, one article Time Magazine had in, in one of their old publications, and I found that on the internet, but aside from that one article that was only like two paragraphs long, which I squeezed every ounce of information I could out of, and a few pictures, I could not, there was not a, a Wikipedia page on him. There was not there was not anything else on him. I couldn't find how long he lived, if the stunt was successful. So I'm, I'm a little confused. So if anybody knows anything about this guy, I would love to know. If you know of a book about him or anything, like send me an email or message me because I would love to know more about him. He seems fascinating. Any man who nails his tongue to a board and just walks around town with it is somebody I need to know more about. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you're not as amused no. by this guy as I am. <laughs> he might have just been a faker, too. I'm not sure. That's Probably. why I want to know. That's why I want to know. That's why you got to wonder. You know, it's like, oh, he's been a year in it. It's like they yeah. close the drapes every night. And he crawls out and yeah. sleeps in a bed, eats but a sandwich. But then they open and... the drapes in the morning, and there he is. It's like, well, 
got bodily functions. I don't think so. I think that this was hung somewhere very public. Like, I don't, I don't know that they put curtains over them or anything. But again, I wouldn't know because I only found right. one article on it. So, yeah. All right. On to the next. Our next person we're going to talk about is a young 24-year-old escapologist and magician named Alan Allen. And Alan Allen took his shot at the notoriously terrifying Buried Alive stunt because Houdini was one of his favorite idols. He looks like him. Uh Uh-huh, he does a little bit. Alan Allen decided that in 1949, he would perform and stage the stunt in front of local media in honor of the 25th anniversary of Houdini's death. Okay, so I have a video here I'm going to watch, and I'll post this up on Facebook for everybody. This is a uh, video that I'm going to let Mr. Lockwood watch, and I will make sure I put the link to it in our show notes and on Facebook. And it is the actual video media coverage of Alan Allen being buried. All right, so we just finished watching the video of Alan Allen being buried. Bummer for that, too. Yeah, let me, I just want to, before we talk about it, I just want to explain to them what happened in case they don't watch the video. So, uh, he has a rope tied around his waist and his hands are bound in front of him. He jumps into a six-foot hole wearing nothing but basically a pair of boxer briefs. He lays down and they throw what seems to be just a piece of cardboard on top of Mm -hmm. him which struck me as utterly hilarious like he hops (laughs) in the hole he lays down and they're just like here's some cardboard have a nice day like they chuck it in on top of him i mean it's long it's like the size of the grave he had to have his head pointing straight up so he could wiggle like a worm up throughout the dirt (laughs) but the dirt was too wet well, hold so on. it was Let more me... like mud and clay well, than it was they, sand. He said it was tapped down too hard, but if hold on. If it was hold sand, on, on. you could wiggle out. So they throw this piece of cardboard on top of him, and then they begin to toss shovels of dirt in the hole, equaling half a ton, they said. Uh, the end of the rope is kept up out of the hole so that if something goes wrong, he can pull on the rope and begin to be exhumed. <laughs> However... <laughs> However, after 38 minutes of being buried, there has been no signal and his helpers begin to unbury him. They get him out and he ultimately survives the experience. Uh, Let me show you a picture of him old. There's Alan Allen old. He did not age well. (laughs) Looks the same. Yeah, just really old. He's like 93, man. Yeah, he's pretty old. Um, So yeah, I I don't know. I, I found this video very funny. It was very strange. It was strange. But it had a good old classic, like, 50s, like, 40s narrator. Yeah, it was pretty cheesy. Yeah. Anyway, I just, the cardboard on top, I just don't, I don't mean, like. Poor guy never met American dirt. No. It's heavy and wet (laughs) and clay-filled. It's true. (laughs) Yes, yes. And he does claim that he had done the, uh stunt two other times successfully but this time he believes that he failed because the ground was they when they buried him they had tamped it down too hard i can see what it was it was clay yeah it was it it did look like you can't worm your way out of clay no like you could imagine if it was like dry sand yeah you could easily worm out of that maybe not easily but it could be done because you just just have to I wish everybody could see Mr. Lockwood doing his wiggle worm. He was kneeling, so his head was only a foot underneath. Allegedly, he was kneeling. From what I can see. Allegedly. In the video. I don't know. But the clay's heavy. Yeah. And and it also is, it doesn't move. It's just like, it's like concrete. Yeah. All right. Want to hear another one? Yeah. Okay. Are you enjoying these? Yeah. You don't enjoy much, so I'm I'm not gonna take offense to it. <laughs> I enjoy living. Oh, well, that's the good. Suffering and pain is, of is living. Is that the lesson that you're learning from all Excruciating this? Excruciating pain of living. I love it. Oh my gosh! All right. So next, we are going to talk about country Bill White and his wife Lottie Howard, also known as Mrs. Living Corpse. It's a nice name. Yeah. 
Bill was born in Bonifay, Florida in 1931. He was a part-time country music singer, and being so, often traveled around the country performing gigs in various towns. During one such tour in 1964, he was traveling by Greyhound through Columbus, Georgia, where he had a three-hour layover. He heard that there was a gentleman by the name of Digger Odell doing a buried alive stunt at a local car dealership and decided to kill some time and check it out. While at the event, he was lucky enough to meet Odell. He asked him details about the art of being buried alive and Odell was more than happy to share his excitement about his macabre career. White asked Odell how big the hole was and he told White that it was four foot by four foot by eight foot. Upon hearing this, White said, hell, you've got enough room down there to raise a family. <laughs> to which Odell replied, if you think it's so big and comfortable, you should try it yourself. So with that, he did. And on his very first attempt, he beat out Digger Odell's record and stayed underground in astonishing 49 days. After that, country Bill White was hooked and became known as the living corpse. So the whole thing is just to stay in the ground as long as you can? Yep. That's the shtick? That's the shtick and to not die. <laughs> okay. Yep. Without dying, that's the main part. Right. Because if you die, you lose. True. In a multitude of ways. Yes. Yes. There were many bugs to work out in the first attempts when he was new to the business of being buried alive. He had a few cave-ins, and once there was even a hurricane while he was underground. Water started leaking into the pit, basically washing him out of the ground. However, once he had troubleshooted the act, it grew into a truly entertaining performance. Once while being buried in Houston, a fellow country singer and his band stopped by and dropped a microphone down the air pipe. You get an air pipe? Yeah, you get an That's air cheating. pipe. No. It's it's basically a like how long can you stay down there without going nuts and wanting back out or dying? That's dumb. <laughs> um, that's how it works, Mr. Lockwood. <laughs> Deal with it. So anyway, while he was buried in Houston, a fellow country singer and his band stopped by and dropped a microphone down the airpipe. They made up a song right there on the spot to the tune of Jailhouse Rock that they ended up naming Graveyard Rock. Mm -hmm. One lyric went something like this. Buried in a hole about six feet down, sucking on a beer way under this ground. <laughs> That's great. You are so unamused right hum -ding. now. Humding. <laughs> That's a humdinger. <laughs> oh, my God. While underground, White ate mostly a diet of hamburgers with onions and ketchup. He also, you get to eat, too? Yeah, it's a it's a, like six-inch hole. They throw food down there, and you get air. And then you throw poop back up, right? I don't know how that works. <laughs> Here comes the poop bag. Make sure my cheeseburger isn't on the way down. Left it down. I don't know how that works. Maybe there's a hole in the coffin, the bottom of the coffin. Chemical that left. toilet. Yeah. Six months of hamburgers I would don't. fill up a big chemical toilet. <laughs> no, you know, it's one you. of those things that I didn't bother to think about while really? I was writing this. I mean, I did think about like where you'd go to the bathroom, but I didn't really want to think about it too hard because the answer was probably real nasty. <laughs> What goes in must come out, I, my friend. You know, it'd be better just not to eat. You'd better just fast <laughs> and drink water. You still have to pee, though. Where's it all going? Where is it going? Where is it all going? Do you get to just sit down there and drink beer the whole time? You just, how long can you stay drunk? Well, yeah. Maybe that's the thing. You just drunk That's the kind of, time. like, show we should put on. You should have a manager or, like, a competition of, like, ten people in a small room. With unlimited alcohol, that's all they get. Wait, do they have to? They have to be in coffins, though. No. Well, what does this have to do with just being to see how long someone can stay drunk for oh. before they're just like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> so, I'm out. So this really has nothing to do with this. <laughs> it has everything to do with this. Like you can just be like, how long can you live in a closet for? <laughs> Here you go. Well, basically, he's yeah. been in that closet for ninety days. <laughs> I'm sure that's there's a Guinness. 
world record for that, oh, I'm shit, sure. shit, mister, you can live in a 4x4 closet. I can live in a 2x4 closet. <laughs> I can live in a 2x2 two two closet. <laughs> the food goes in the top chute and the poop comes out the bottom chute. You're right, though. I just, I didn't actually want to think about where the poop goes. This is an ugly business if you really start thinking it about really it. Is. It really uh, is. Yeah. Sure you want to know how the sausage is made? No, I guess I don't because I didn't write in. Or maybe how the sausage is unmade? No, so I'm guessing that your your big question through all these stories is where does the where's poop the poop go? going? <laughs> right, Who, I agree. Like, is someone paid full time to be the poop bucket dude? I don't know. I don't. What if what if there's just the like poop a secretary? What if there's like a suction tube? These don't strike me as very high tech things. No, I mean they were a while ago. What if it's like one of those bank tubes and they just suck the turd out and away? The poop secretary. The poop. The poop tube. I mean the space station has one of those. Yeah. It's a poop chute, an underground poop chute. It's just a vacuum powered yeah. poop tube. I think that's probably what happened. That's what I would like to think happened. It's <laughs> the clean version of what could have happened. That's probably like the basic research that NASA started doing before they uh started like figured out how to put a toilet in space. Cause all the first space missions were just diapers. I think the astronauts for Apollo had to poop in a bag. Yeah. They had a thing that they would put on. Kind of like a diaper, yeah. but it would like have a detachable bag. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> and then you zip up the bag, and then take off the. Going to bathroom in space has to be yeah. the weirdest damn thing. The best ever. part, you have to do it while you're elbow to elbow with two other guys. Yeah. Wait, is there like a specific pooping time where everybody poops together? Nope. Sometimes you just gotta poop and like. You can't just be like. Well, hey, John, I uh, I just got to go over here in the corner for a minute. <laughs> there is no corner. There's got to be a corner. No somewhere. corner. There's got to be a it's corner. It's a small air, small craft. Well, I'm going to go three feet away from you. There's do no this. three feet. Oh, my God. Okay, well. All right, back to being buried alive. <laughs> Apparently, I don't want to poop in space or underground. <laughs> Not the old way of doing it. No, no, no. None of it. So while underground, White ate a diet. Oh, I already read this. Hold on. He ate cheeseburgers and beer. Yes, he ate cheeseburgers, ah, hamburgers, know, and onions out. and ketchup. It comes out of a, as a nice, easy to manage slurry. Ew. If all you're eating is cheeseburgers and, and beer. beer. <laughs> Can you imagine how smelly that coffin would be? Yep. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Talk about a farty party. Ugh. You could be like those fucking weirdos that sniff part, like sniff fart juice to get high okay oh, you didn't know about this i have questions you a, didn't know about a, this that's a thing and b why do you know about it because i know about a lot of weird shit yeah you do and you think that i have weird shit to talk about yeah there's like degenerate kids that smell rotten poop stop to get it. high stop i am not it. lying to you stop it for We're, real nope that's a different podcast entirely <laughs> we are moving on we are not a poop fetish podcast. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> but that's just so nope, funny. We're to not me. even going there. <laughs> I feel like, you know, that would make Move this stay in the box a lot more tolerable as if you like kind of got high. Stop it. From the poop. Ew. <laughs> I, the only high I'm doing is literally if somebody dropped a joint you down. You know, you've there. really opened Pandora's box Stop here. Stop it. Poop Dora's box, I know. <laughs> <laughs> we're moving on. So White also uh rigged up a phone with a phone number that was available to anyone who would like to call and talk with him while he was buried. He would receive calls from all over the world. 99 cents a minute. Yeah, what are you probably. wearing? <laughs> Nothing. I'm buried. I'm in a box right now. I'm thinking of you. What are you eating? <laughs> a hamburger. <laughs> oh, so wrong with you today <laughs> oh my god he would receive calls from all over the world guam scotland north ireland and italy to name a few <laughs> stop looking at me hey suck my haggis you blimey idiot oh my god all right i have to keep going <laughs> I can't, I can't linger in the poop box anymore. I mean, we get a lot of mileage out of this no. shit. No. <laughs> Stop. 
Bill White eventually met a woman, and in June of 1966... Oh, I she was something else. And in June of 1966, <laughs> they, <laughs> they tied the knot in Texas. His bride was 30-year-old Lottie Howard, and after the ceremony, she was buried in a coffin six feet underground at a drive through theater. After being dug up, the two newlyweds left for their honeymoon. After this, Lottie Howard was referred to as Miss Living, Mrs. Living Corpse, obviously. Two years into their marriage, while Country Bill was lying in a coffin six feet underground in an attempt to break the world's record for being buried alive, sheriff deputies showed up. They were there to serve Bill divorce papers. And by serve, I mean they stuffed the paperwork into the six-inch pipe used for air and food. <laughs> when calling from his coffin, he stated that he would not contest the divorce, but he would like to contest the alimony payment. <laughs> the problem was that if they dug him up for the court hearing the following week, he would miss his chance at attaining the world record. So he did not go to the court hearing. <laughs> And he had to pay her. Okay. Yeah. I love that they're like, you've been served, and they just jam the paperwork down your breathing pipe. That's that's pretty That's awesome. pretty much what they do now. <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Anyway. Here. Okay. So, Bill, Bill gets divorced and gets papers jammed down his air pipe. <laughs> but... You shouldn't be sad for Bill. Just a few months <laughs> he's later, he's buried with multiple women. Just a few months later, he was buried with two women, one of which was a 23-year-old go-go dancer. Wow. Yep. But and they the, had individual compartments. They did, but you know, I mean, it does look like there's a glory hole over there. It does there. look like they're connected. Yeah, it looks like a glory hole might be present. Get it, Bill? Get it. A 34-year-old grandmother. <laughs> yeah. And a, and a 23-year-old... Go-go dancer. A go-go dancer. Yes. In 1981, he, sent, he set an endurance record for the longest time buried at 140 consecutive days in a plywood box. No, I'm, well, I'm thoroughly impressed. I do want to play for you a song, and I will put this on Facebook too. One of Country Bill White's songs... And this song was called The Living Corpse, and it was written in 1969 by Country Bill White. I can tell you've had enough. That song <laughs> is a great way to simulate what it would be like being buried alive. <laughs> At first, I you're sh- like, you know, this doesn't sound too bad. It gets worse. Like... You're a little excited. You're like, you know, I'm going to be down here for a while. I'm going to make some money. Mm -hmm. I get to talk to people. I'm going to entertain me. It's great. Yeah. And then the sinking (laughs) feeling just keeps like crushing in on you. Is it because it's the same thing day after day? Until you realize there's no escape. Yeah. I actually love the song. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I bet you do. It's kind of like my favorite new 60s country song. I, I love it. And I'm going to find it somewhere. I'm going to make my ringtone for you. (laughs) Every time you call, that's what I'm going to hear. That was beyond cringe. mm -hmm. All right. So I'm going to put the link to that song by Bill in uh, the show notes and on the Facebook page. I think I see why Bill had to bury himself for money. You should definitely check that out. I think I can see why Bill had to bury himself for money. Yeah, probably. I think he probably paid for that record to be printed. Yeah. So that people would come see him bury himself. Probably. I don't know. I don't either. I don't know. I just want to know what kind of hanky-panky went on with those two women. You know, even Granny there, who was 34. That's really young to be a grandmother. I don't even want to think about this guy ever again. Okay. Okay. Ever again in my life. While Bill had a relatively long, exciting, and fun career, the same can't be said for everyone that delves into the world of this dangerous underground stunt. Joseph Burris is one of the few people willing to attempt this stunt who was also determined to make it more dangerous than anyone before him. On Halloween night in 1990, Joseph, the Amazing Joe, 
Burris thought for certain he would emerge from his latest escape being hailed as the next Houdini. Mm. Have you heard of this guy? I feel like you no. have. No. You haven't? The Amazing Joe? I, fe- no. I felt like we watched something on him together. I thought for sure you'd be like, I know this one. All right. The day of the performance, Joe, 32 at the time, had worked to set everything up ahead of the stunt at the local amusement park called Blackbeard's Family Fun Center in Fresno, California. He wore a white tuxedo and white patent leather shoes and arrived in a white limousine. Finally, the time had come, and with friends and family, media, and a crowd of over 150 onlookers gathered, the spectacle began. Joe was chained and handcuffed and placed in a glass and plexiglass box. He was lowered into a seven-foot grave. Although they had one trial run on the box itself that ended in a complete structural failure under the weight of the dirt, Joe insisted that the show go ahead. Many close to him pleaded that he not do the stunt, at least until they had proven a way to make it more reliable but Joe pressed on. As the coffin was lowered, a camera projected the burial onto a large video screen. After reaching the bottom, assistants began shoveling in the dirt. But on this night, Joe had planned to take it one step further than anyone ever had. When the dirt was in, filling the hole three quarters of the way, the signal was given and the crew began to pour concrete onto the remainder of the void. It took 10 minutes to fill the hole. Suddenly, there was a cracking sound and the level of the earth and concrete in the hole dropped two feet, collapsing the delicate glass coffin. Mm-hmm. There's a video of this. Have you ever seen it? I don't want to watch it. There's a video of it. I've, I don't need to watch I've it. I've seen it a couple times, not today, but I in can the past. I can imagine it. And I know the video is out there, but I didn't watch it today because I was like, I done saw this and I'm good on that. It's pretty horrible because there's children there. His family's there. His wife's there. Like, it's pretty bad. Did he die? Hold up. <laughs> the workers immediately and frantically began digging to retrieve Joe. They pulled him out of the hole, and paramedics tried to revive him, but to no avail. Joe had been immediately killed under the extreme pressure and weight of the earth topped with concrete. One of Joe's head's assistants on that fatal night later said that Joe's grandiose plans frequently overshadowed the vital and necessary details it would take to make the stunt succeed. According to the assistant, Joe made no attempt to calculate the weight of the dirt in the wet concrete. Like I said, there is a video of this stunt by Joe Burris um, on the internet. I think I saw a documentary on it one time. And it's pretty horrific. Um, prepare yourself if you watch it. I'm not going to put a link in, in the notes. It's it's crazy. Like you hear this crack and everybody kind of gasps. And then the ground just sinks two feet immediately. And everybody's just like, oh, God, now what? And they, the like, camera pans to his wife standing there. And she's <laughs> like, I mean, it's horrific. Like, I couldn't watch it. And I watch a lot of really terrible things. But, like, you just know when they start dumping this concrete in, like, what is this man thinking? Like, it's just, it's insane. So I don't know how we ever planned on getting out of a coffin through concrete anyway. So I, it wasn't a very well thought out stunt. But now we're going to get to theories and thoughts. I'm calling this theories and thoughts because we kind of know what happened in all these, sort of. Maybe. Um, But I want to give you my thought first. Good, because I don't have many thoughts. This is the only thought I have typed into this section. (laughs) You don't have many either. Okay. Dirt is heavy. Yeah. That's my one thought it on is. this. Dirt is heavy, and you should never wish to be six feet underneath of it. You ever shoveled any before? Uh, yeah, lots. It's heavy. Yeah, it's heavy. Yeah. I think it weighs about one ton per cubic yard. Is that like any specific kind of dirt? Uh, average. I feel like clay average would be heavier. Dirt. Clay would probably be a little heavier. Yeah. Concrete. Sand, maybe a little lighter. Sand's pretty heavy. heavy. Yeah. I'd say in general, most things are about one ton per cubic yard. Yeah. Except for lead. 
I don't want to be buried Lead's under lead either. probably yeah. 10 tons per cubic yard. Can you... I, I'm just struggling with the idea that this... That Joe thought it was like... That dirt wasn't enough. It's a Darwin Award. Oh, my God. So, yeah, I just... I can't imagine that he didn't think dirt was, like, scary enough. Well, my thought was that uh, uh, these escape artists, they uh, are usually, like, engineering people. Yes. So... Their tricks get engineered. Here's a little bit of background on Joe. So, Joe... Joe, actually... His main job was that he worked for a tree trimming company. And Joe had these kind of delusions of grandeur about being a famous magician. And so much so that even on the side of his truck, he was said to have, like, used the side of his truck as a billboard for his, like, stunts that he would do. He was also a recovering drug addict. Okay. So... Joe wasn't exactly an engineer. Let's just say that. And in fact, he was reckless and did not even Yeah, I would say did he not was. even bother to listen to people who knew what they were doing. He was reckless. Yes. Uh if I were his wife, I would be pissed at him. <laughs> uh very pissed. Yeah. Huh. It's a sad story. Like it's ridiculous, but it's it it's sad and the video is is terrifyingly horrible. So seek that out if you want. If you dare. If you dare. So, do you have any other theories or thoughts on this episode? Other than dirt is heavy? <laughs> no, not really. Okay. I'm like... It's pretty cut and dry. <laughs> pretty sure we know what the hell happened to these people. They either lived or they didn't. I mean, I, I do have wonders. You know, we might have to bring this up in a later episode after I research it a little bit. It's like, you know, what is the upper limit? That someone can be deprived of oxygen, yeah, and still technically alive, right? Not in suspended animation. There are people that get, you know, fall into frozen water, get yeah. hypothermic real quick, and they are revived. I think up to an hour or so or more later. It's like happened. Doesn't always. Usually, you die. Yeah, you but hear, some people have lived through it. You and you hear stories about people who are technically dead for quite a while before they yeah, bring them back. Two days, five days no in the one case. That's the thing. It's oxygen. Maybe it's a holy divine intervention. No, I mean oh. like there's holes oh. in the casket. <laughs> Not literally holy. <laughs> Man, I went a completely different argue. route that way. <laughs> Some might argue that. But. I mean, and we could talk about that too. Is it just a downright miracle? No, it's not a miracle. You don't think God's in there doing chest compressions? Nope. Until they find you? Nope. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I don't. Okay. I don't think so either. <laughs> we just worked ourselves into a corner here, didn't we? Yeah, I think it's over. Or maybe kind of a hole in the ground. Oh, we we dug the whole deep. Just keep deep digging. Yeah, we're gonna keep digging. So let's eventually let's... the spectacle will draw in some listeners. Yeah, maybe we could charge like fifteen cents a person <laughs> to watch us dig a hole. We could make them pay us fifteen cents to stop. Ooh, that's even better. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should just keep going. Yeah. Until we start getting fifteen cents yeah. at a time. Yeah. Via PayPal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think we're done here. To this Bitcoin address. Yeah. One, zero, one, one, zero, zero. Bye. One, one. See y'all later. Do you have a story that's weird or fascinating? Would you like to have your story read at the end of an episode? If so, please send your story to wthh.podcast at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing your stories. If you'd like more episodes and bonus content, join Patreon to become a member. If you liked our episode, please remember to like, rate, and review. Thank you for listening. 